Disclaimer, the hosts of this podcast, Timothy Patrick and Will Foley, are by no means medical professionals. However, having lived experience with mental illness themselves, they have gained useful perspectives on common mental health issues that some of us struggle to overcome on a daily basis. By sharing their stories, they hope to create connection. By creating connection, they hope to help you find your purpose. And through purpose, we can all begin to build the foundation for positive mental health. This is Above Ground Podcast. Are you ready to lace up your boots, throw up your horns, and jump into the pit? Then let's stomp the stigmas of mental illness. It's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now, Will Foley and Timothy Patrick. Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast, because you can't serve below. That's right. Hey, thanks for joining us for another week. Another week, another conversation. This week, we have Ms. Kelly Conrad on with us to discuss complex post-traumatic stress disorder. We'll be getting to that in a minute. But first, I wanted to talk to you about our friends at Close Knit Company. That's right. We have t-shirts and hoodies uh, that Close Knit Company are producing. And uh, Dan and Natalie, big shout out to them down there in Florida. Screen printing. Beautiful stuff, man. Go check it out at their website, closeknitco.com. There's still time to get your little leprechaun hands on some St. Patrick's Day threads. They got some really cool t-shirts. Um, please, that's how we're keeping the podcast going is selling some t-shirts. Uh, you can donate via PayPal. But uh, I'd much rather have you support small business. And that's what most of the businesses are in in the world are small businesses, you know, one, two, three people. And that's how we keep it going, man. That's how we keep it going. We pay it forward and, and we let it we let it rip. So uh, close-knit company, we wouldn't be able to do it without them. So please go check them out. Uh, don't forget, they got collections for all kinds of stuff, man. If you're a Jeep lover, if you're a lover of uh, adult beverages, uh, you know, they got, some, they got some cool, like, you know, couples tees. Um, uh, they've got collections for Valentine's Day and Christmas. They do collections for like all the holidays and stuff. Their Halloween collection is is awesome, and their videos. Their videos are cool, man. Very cool people, Dan and Natalie, and uh, they're helping us out. So we appreciate it very much. So we'd appreciate it very much if you showed it off, man. Wear your t-shirt and take a picture and post it to our. Instagram page or post it to our Facebook page and uh, be awesome. Let's start a conversation about mental health, man. Because you know what? Just takes checking in. That's all it is. Uh, we are nearing the century mark and you only get to near the century mark once, man. Uh, we're getting close to 100 episodes. I believe this episode is 92. And, you know, Tim and I are still trying to figure out what we're doing for episode 100 and beyond. But, Expect some cool stuff and expect expect a little change here and there, man, for some stuff because, you know, you got to keep it fresh. You got to keep it fresh happening and hopping. So let's get right to it, man. We want to thank everyone for listening. Now it's time for Kelly Conrad.
Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to yet another Above Ground Podcast interview. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, everyone. Welcome to another one. Timmy, how we doing this week, buddy? Are you down with TPP? Yeah, you know me. Wow, that's better. That's better than past ones, man. That's a little. I uh, know. I tried. I I tried to put a little bit more um, emphasis on it this time, just to appease you. Really, you know, that was my main goal for the Listen, whole. That's what this whole fucking thing is about, man. Is appeasing right. me, remember? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. True. How are you doing, Will? Uh, dude, you know, on the lumen scale, let's see, we decided that the lumen scale was zero to what? A hundred watts. So yeah, yeah, dude, I'm probably, I'm probably a 60 watt light bulb right. this week, man. I'm not doing too bad. You know, I, I got a fresh shave going on. I you know, see that. I trimmed up, I trimmed up everything on the face, you know, just to make myself presentable on zoom. Not that we use the video, but eventually we got to start using the video because the video is just going to waste. But, um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm about sixty on the lumen scale. How about you? How about yourself, my friend? Yeah, I, you know, I, um, I would say I'm probably around the same. I'm, I'm actually, you know, I think I might be a little bit higher because I was, I'm pretty psyched about we have a, a, a new guest this evening on the, the podcast. So I'm, I'm pretty um, excited to talk with her about, um, you know, all the, uh, the, the goods. And all the stories and all the uh, traumas and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Ah, so, I um, love it. I love it. So, so tonight, it, it, go, no, ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, just so it kind of picked me up, you know, a few, a few notches, you know? Ah, I love it. A little bit more brightness to the bulb. So, yeah. yes. And as Timmy said, tonight we do have a brand new interview. Um, her name is Kelly Conrad. She is from... British Columbia. We we seem to hit Canada a lot, man. I know. I don't. I don't know if they listen or we just seek out people and they <laughs> they uh, they they're like, sure, why not? You know, maybe they're just really nice over there. I don't know. I don't know. It could be. It could be. Kelly, but I, thank I uh, you. yeah. No, real quick. I was just gonna say really quick. Just a quick little. Uh, I months. Geez, months ago. I think it was. Uh, it was. It was a. It was a. It was a group or Facebook. It was something on Facebook, like a page, you know, around mental health. And she had commented and that's what kind of planted the seed for me because she had said something that I, I was unaware of. So I had, um, I think I had commented on it, but anyways, we ended up, um, uh, messaging each other back and forth a bit and, and I learned quite a bit and I've been waiting to learn more. So that's, um, that's kind of how this started, but Kelly, thank you for being here. Oh, you're welcome. I'm I'm really excited to be here and talk about all the things. <laughs> ah, I love it. It's awesome. Tonight we're going to talk about something that I had no idea about until recently myself, which is something called complex post-traumatic stress disorder. But uh, a little background on Kelly that I have found is that Kelly is um, an advocate for about complex post-traumatic stress disorder. She is also a lover of Brene Brown. She is also a beach body. Um, I I, I want to say I, I don't know how quite to put that, but I know you love Sean T. <laughs> yes, yes. I I'm I'm all about Sean T. He is kind of like my hero. But yeah, <laughs> I've listened to several of his. I've listened to his podcast a bunch of times just because yeah. he's he's very cool. Is from what I've from what I've gathered and stuff. 
But um, there was something that oh, and you're a big DBT person. Yes. So yes. That's where I started. Maybe that's actually, the group that that it was. I think it was actually. I was trying to remember if it was the DBT group or the. I'm I'm in a couple of different ones, but um, EMDR the is the therapy that comes up quite often in that group. Um, and every time I see a post about it, I'm always very eager to comment because of my personal experiences with it. Um, I think that there's, it's a very new therapy in terms of therapeutic approaches. Um, Francine Shapiro, you know, it's from the eighties and nineties, which yes, I realized that was quite a while ago, but in terms of therapy, uh, approaches, it's new. So there's not a lot of knowledge about it. There's not actually a, a heck of a ton of therapists that do it, um, and I think that there's a lot of chatter around it that's a little, quite frankly, intimidating. Um, it is a very different kind of therapy. Um, it's, you know, most therapy, when you think about therapy, it's like, oh, it's talk. You know, you go into a room and you talk and you talk about your feelings and you, the therapist guides you through a series of questions and you, you know, sometimes you have epiphanies, sometimes you don't. EMDR is literally the gateway to your nervous system. And the nervous system is the entire focus of what is going on with people who have trauma. You can talk your face off about it. And I'm not saying that it doesn't help, but until you actually get to the root of this issue, which is your nervous system doesn't work properly and it's not your fault. It's, it's literally that was taken from you at some point, whether it's, you know, with complex PTSD, it's usually when you're a child. Um, but for regular post-traumatic stress uh, disorder, um, other types of abuse that has happened to people or traumas, uh, if your nervous system can't process that information and appropriately uh, file this memory as a memory in your long-term memory, it gets stored there as muck. And I call it muck because your muck is your trigger. So you're out walking around and you see something, you hear something, you smell something. And for no reason in your head, you're like, I'm on the ceiling. I'm crying. I'm freaking out. I'm, I'm pissed. Like why is this person at the grocery store right now making me so freaking angry? And it really literally is your nervous system is telling you, hi, um, remember me? Yeah. This thing happened and you didn't deal with it. And I'm going to let you know in all these different ways. And I'm actually going <laughs> to scream at you until you listen. So whether it's that I give you gastrointestinal issues, I'm just going to go there. Um, whether I give you vertigo or I give you panic attacks or I give you rage issues until you listen to me, I'm here. And that is what I try to tell people about EMDR is that this therapy actually gets those files, processes them and puts them in a place where they need to be, which is not in your, Oh my God, I want to be triggered for the rest of my life. And that's what EMDR has done for me. It's changed my entire life. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That was a whole lot. That was a whole lot right there. <laughs> I, I, you know, the thing is, is um, I didn't have much experience with DBT until Tim and I had gotten together with this. I was, right. I came from that therapy of the CBT thing, but we yeah. actually did um, in 2019. Uh, if you go back in our episodes uh, from September 4th, through October 16th we of 2019, if you go back to our episodes that long ago, we actually did an entire section about DBT and we covered all of the all of it. We covered distress tolerance, emotional, um, 
regulation. regulation, regulation, interpersonal effectiveness. We covered mindfulness. We covered the whole scope of it. That's so if awesome. anybody out there is listening, you can go back to those episodes. They're all still available. Yeah. But I, I don't have much experience with EMDR. I do know about it, yeah. but I've never, I've never experienced it myself. And yeah. I, I'm really curious to let you just kind of tell us how you got to this, where you came from. Like, obviously there's something that's majorly happened in your life that has caused you a lot of pain. I, I yeah. read some of your blog posts on your WordPress site. And um, I'm, I'm really curious to know, first of all, how are you now? I mean, for real, I am, um, and I don't say this lightly, I am amazing. I'm the most fulfilled, happy version of Kelly Conrad I have been in my 38 years of life. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm grounded. I am grateful. I'm, um, I'm living a totally free purposeful life. Um, I have inner peace. <laughs> I don't, I don't have the triggers in my life that, um, for years and years and years before I knew what I had, I just felt like I was floundering. Like I was like, I'm anxious and I try to control things and I'm angry and I'm, I'm depressed. And, and, and I, I, I didn't really know what to do with any of this stuff. And, um, it wasn't until my whole world got turned upside down that I literally, it was like somebody came and I, again, I said at the beginning, I'll talk a lot about the universe. I haven't been about the universe. So it's like the universe came and dumped a big, huge garbage bin that is my life all over the floor and said, <laughs> for real, like we're talking every stupid, crappy thing that's ever happened. And it was like, okay, now you're going to clean this up. You are going to pick up each piece of trash. You are going to look at it. You are going to acknowledge it. You are going to recognize that it happened. You're going to sort through it and you are going to heal from it. You are going to stop pretending it didn't happen. You're going to stop trying to be strong. You're going to do the work and it's going to be horrible and you're going to hate some of it. And you're probably going to wonder if you're ever going to get to the other side. I got to the other side. <laughs> wow. Congratulations. Congratulations. Congrats. Yeah. Yeah. So now let me, can I just interrupt and, and I don't want to skip some of your story, but um, do you, do you think that um, EMDR was one of the main variables in, in getting through to the other side? Absolutely. Um, I will say, so it's interesting you guys talked about DBT and it's something that I actually like heavily advocate for in our Facebook group. Um, you cannot, and you, and again, I'm not a therapist. I'm not an expert. This is just my personal experience. And also just, um, having the therapist I have, it is detrimental that you have the DBT skills background before you do EMDR specifically around distress tolerance, mindfulness, and understanding how to identify emotions and regulating yourself. Because this therapy, it sends you to the moon. Like I will not even sugarcoat it. There are, there have been moments that I have done this therapy where I have come close to vomiting. I have almost passed out. Um, I have had blackout experiences. I've had to 
pull myself out of dissociative episodes, which I couldn't do pre-EMDR, and now I'm able to do that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's heavy duty, and I'm not even going to pretend. Um, I've heard that it is heavy duty. Some people yeah. say this, you know, that I've talked with because I, I was interested in doing it. So I was researching it for a while. And yeah. anytime someone would talk about it in a group or some kind of post, I would, I would encourage the conversation and, and try and get more out of it. To, so I could understand a little bit more what it entailed. Yeah. yeah. I have to ask you what, uh, and what happened to you that led to all this, all this garbage that you needed, oh. to, all this trash that you needed to pick up. Cause I think that that's an important, I, I, I get that after you said 38 years of, yeah. of everything. Um, I, I'm just wondering like what, what traumatic things have happened. And I, I would assume that they've probably been pretty bad if, if. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's, that's an excellent question. Um, so it, it's, it's kind of a two prong thing. So obviously I having complex PTSD, I've had multiple traumas since I was a child and I just kind of held on here and here and here. Um, but in 2017, um, I was, uh, I had been married. Um, I got married in July. Um, three weeks before our wedding, I uh, suffered a severe traumatic brain injury. Um, I was just in the kitchen. I was flailing a hundred miles a minute and I cracked my head open on the edge of the kitchen cupboard. I just made perfect contact, knocked myself unconscious, um, wow. and ended up with like a severe TBI, which would turn out, <laughs> um, contributed to the emotional dysregulation. So I was already extremely emotionally dysregulated and didn't really know. So this kind of sent me to the moon, if you will. Um, so we struggled through that. I obviously struggled through that, had to work really hard at it. Um, but in 2018, uh, my now ex-husband, um, we were attacked, um, violently attacked downtown one night when we were out for a bachelor bachelorette party by security staff at a hotel. There was a, um, a police file report. It, it was very serious. We ended up in the hospital in the emergency room. Um, wow. More of the heat than I did. Um, and he's, he's had his own trauma issues. So his, his approach was, I just want to pretend this didn't happen. Um, which, you know, it was like this for the two of us. Cause I was like, we need to deal with this. And he was like, I don't want to deal with this. Um, so we sort of slowly started to do this as a couple. Um, shortly after that happened, we went through the loss of a baby, uh, a pregnancy. <laughs> so, wow. yeah. So after that happened, um, I was completely derailed. I was very, very sick. Um, I was dissociative. I was, uh, well, yeah, I mean, for the sake of this interview, I was cutting. I was really, really, really bad. And... I remember that uh, my mantra was, um, and it was in September of 2018, I woke up one day and I said, I need to fix my life. And I don't really even know what that means, but I need to fix my life. And my mantra was, I'm going to become the mother that my child would deserve. And I don't even really knew, know what that means, but I'm going to figure it out. And so off I went on my transformation journey and that's my, you know, my Shanti stuff and my Brenny Brown. I started reading her books and I was like, oh my God, you know, like this didn't start with me. Like there's family abuse and there's, um, 
you know, there's trauma from childhood and, you know, this isn't, this is not, um, Kelly's just anxious. Like there's something going <laughs> on here. And so I started, you know, I lost 30 pounds, um, in that process. I, uh, I started doing Brenny Brown's work. I started doing her workbooks and I said, you know, I want to go see a therapist. And, um, I started the DBT process, not even really knowing what I was doing. And, um, in 2019, uh, the, the, the stuff just didn't stop. My husband and I, our car got totaled. He lost his grandfather. It was just thing after thing, after thing, after thing. And, um, eventually in, uh, starting kind of in April, he started to really drift and I started having dreams, which now I know is my nervous system going, ha ha ha, this is familiar. You're you know, you're going to be abandoned. We'll talk about that later. Um, and long story short, he left the marriage. Um, and I was done. I was, that was my bottom. Um, I had never trusted anyone in my life, um, ever. And he was the one person that I trusted with my entire being. And he, he hurt me pretty badly. He betrayed me pretty badly. Um, I really do. I completely unraveled. Um, my family was like, Oh my God, this is really serious. And it was the most important thing that's ever happened to me. Um, if, if my husband had not done what he did to me and I, and I seriously mean this, I would not be sitting here right now. Um, it forced me to accept that this needed to be fixed. And so off I went and I got the DBT going and I um, finally was able to get a diagnosis because I was so sick because I was, you know, I was in and out of the psych emerge, you know, like they were taking me into the psych emergency because I was dissociative and wandering around in Victoria and not knowing who I was. Like it was terrifying for me. It was terrifying for my family. Um, and I remember I went into the psych emerge and I said, I just want help. Like, I just, I don't care what I have to do. I don't care what therapy I have to take. I don't care if I have to be admitted. Like, I just want to fix my life. And um, the scary thing about that, the psych emerge experience is they basically said, and this is one of the things I want to advocate for so hard is, um, you know, well, this is going to be really tough, Kel, because you come in here you know, you're dissociative, but you're respectful, you know, you're not throwing things and yelling and screaming. And so we're going to discharge you because you didn't come here on crack. You didn't commit a crime. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. So not that I'm, you know, dismissing or belittling people who have addiction issues or rage issues. That's, that's not what I'm saying, but you're telling me that I have to come in here and, and hurt people to get help. Oh, <laughs> I, you know, Fantastic. I, it's, uh, you know, I, I, it's funny because I can relate, I can actually relate to a lot of what you're talking about. And, um, but that incident for sure, like, and at the time it, it was, it was probably okay for me because I didn't really, uh, but I, I, I actually ended up checking myself into a hospital. And in similar situation, they were like, well, like, 
you you don't really want to stay here. Like this isn't really the place for you. Like you right. you should you should be okay. And I was like, and I didn't want to be there, but I drove myself there because I knew that I shouldn't be in my house alone. Right. You know what I mean? So, but at the same time, I was like, I, yeah, I don't really want to be here, but I don't know. I don't know what I need. That's why I reached out because I I had no idea. Exactly. So, but long story short, yeah, I can totally. I can totally, totally, totally get that. Because like I said, at the time, it didn't really, I didn't think anything of it. And then I told my story a few times to people and they were like, they just like let you leave. And I'm like, yeah. And then I started to think about it and the more that I learn and, and get involved in this, it's like, yeah, that was, that was a little weird. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, they were very just, um, you know, you're not kicking and screaming. And I mean, even, I mean, I got, I, I do want to take a second just to, um, to um, give some kudos. I, I did write a letter, but I, the Victoria Police Department um, did, they were amazing. Um, they had to come to my aid. There were a couple of house checks that were done in 2019. Um, and they Very were cool. so respectful. They were so kind. And I, I really could not have um, got through some of what I got through without their assistance. So kudos to their team. Um, but yeah, I, I was like, what am I supposed to do? You know, they, they're not going to help me. They're not, I'm not sick enough. I'm not standing on top of a building. And, you know, the universe, because here I was after this last visit, um, they wouldn't give me the psychiatric evaluation. And I said, universe, like, I am prepared to do whatever it takes. Like, please help me. And so we were, um, I was with one of my uh, co-workers at the hospital um, who works with the union. And she and I went, um, had been released from the emergency. And she said, okay, we're going to go to the clinic and we're going to get a doctor to fill out these forms so that you can actually get a psychiatric assessment and we can find out what's going on and we can, we can start, you know, getting you fixed. Right. So we go to the clinic because in British Columbia, there's a huge um, primary care physician shortage. So a lot of us have to use like the walk-in clinics. Um, you guys as Americans, it's like, okay, Canada has all this healthcare, but it, it's pretty tricky. Like you have to go and sit and wait for like three or four hours just to see a doctor. So and it was the strangest thing because sometimes you get a really good doctor and sometimes you get, I don't know, such a great doctor. And this particular doctor uh, walked into the room. Um, my coworker started telling her a little bit about my story. And I looked at her, she looked at me and she said, oh my God, I remember you. You're the girl that cracked your head open on the kitchen cabinet a few years ago. And wow. I saw you. The morning after your concussion, she said, I remember I was so worried about you. She said it was a severe hit to the head. And she's like, this is, this is crazy. And she basically took one look at me and said, I will be your doctor. I'm, I'm not supposed to do this. I can't take you on as a, like a primary patient. But she said, I will be your doctor. I will fill out your forms. She said, this is madness. Like, the fact that you had to come in here, you were released from psych emerge and basically told you're not being a lunatic for a better lack of term. <laughs> we won't help you. She's like, this is what's wrong with the world. She's like, they should help anyone, especially someone who's brave enough to come forward and say, I am not okay up here. Like somebody please pay attention. If you went into the ER with a you know, a, abdominal pain, they'd be like, Oh God, well, you know, heaven forbid now. You have to well, yeah, because they can fix it. They can fix that. 
They can fix that. <laughs> they can do something with that. They can't do something with upstairs all the time. I, I and I don't want to cut you off. I have to ask this no, because okay. I have not heard anything about you saying that you were suicidal at any point. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm I'm curious to know: did, were you suicidal at some point, or, or yeah, or was that no. not something that had? I, so here was so here was the issue, and this when I got the diagnosis, this was the probably the most important part of my diagnosis, which I am going to talk about more in my blog post. Was um, this dissociation? So dissociation is a um, nervous system safety tactic, essentially, that people who've gone through trauma experience. It's part of the four Fs, and it is a freeze response where you. Um, Basically, you check out. You are sure. I've heard gone. about that with people who suffer like sexual abuse, where their yep. mind goes to yep. another place during the abuse, and they don't yep. realize like yep. they kind of they kind of like rise above their bodies, kind of. Exactly. Not so, to minimize it, but I, that's the way you know the simplest way that I can explain it. Absolutely, yeah. So for some people, it's um, very short, very short lived. So it's like you'll get triggered by something, and you kind of just check out. Um, you can see it with people where they get sort of a glazed over look and it's like, are you here right now? And they kind of just don't even answer. Um, it can be more severe, which was what was my situation. Um, the most severe kind is if you actually have like dissociative disorder. So that's kind of more like your split personality. Yeah. Um, and I was broaching on that. Um, that was one of the things that I was personally quite scared of. So I would when this happened with my husband, I was so emotionally dysregulated. Like I had no window of tolerance. I had no grounding. I had nothing. I was on the ceiling or I was checked out. So I would get triggered by something and I would dissociate and I would basically go wandering in the dark. Um, this is why the Victoria police had to come and find me. And I would have no memory of the, uh, having left my house. I would revert to Basically, like a seven-year-old is kind of where we figured out in therapy, I would go. Um, and so one of the last times that I got picked up um, and, and I, you know, they, they were asking me, like, you know, you know where you are? And I said, no. And they said, can you tell us where, you know, can you read license plates? Okay, like I'm a 38-year-old woman. And I said to the policeman, what's a license plate? Like wow. a seven-year-old wouldn't really know that. So that was their first clue. Like, oh, she's not, this woman is not here. So because I had three of those things, um, the self-harm was, that That was when the self-harming happened and I would have no recollection. So, Kelly, can, I, I need to ask, cause I don't, I don't know this. Um, now you said that it, it goes like um, you, for you, at least it went, you know, it took you back to like seven years old or around yep. that time frame. Does that, is that like an indication of when you were like safe or was that an indication of the time of trauma? It's two. So I learned in my EMDR that it's, it's two things. So seven year old me is the, was the, um, most significant traumatic experience that occurred where okay. the, the process started, if you will. So that was where my nervous system became damaged to a point that it was not corrected. 
and my attachment. So we go, you guys have heard of secure attachment, obviously with like, you know, kids need secure attachment. Yeah, I, I know all about it. Right. <laughs> so I had no secure attachment with my caregivers. Um, and when this traumatic experience happened and I, as a child, looked for the safety and I looked for the resolve, um, I, it was gone. So my nervous system basically reverts back to that age because um, what happened to me being abandoned by my husband um, was a parallel for my nervous system as being abandoned as a child in that traumatic experience. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That actually makes a lot of sense. Yep. Makes, yeah. Makes perfect sense for sure. Yeah. So, but yes, suicide was, um, it was nothing that I ever actively woke up in the morning and thought to do. Um, as weird as that sounds, I know some people wake up and they're depressed and think, you know, I just don't want to be here. But for me, it was, I would be in so much pain that I would check out to the point that I had no memory. And so for, from a medical standpoint, um, pretty scary. So you know, I, I got to ask you, so was that the only TBI that you've ever suffered or did you have other issues growing up that did you play sports? Did you like, did, was there any other things that went on? Because um, during the past conversation, we've, we've talked about CTE on this podcast, hmm. uh, which is the, the brain disease that happens to a lot of football players in the right. and, um, and soccer players and, and UFC fighters and type of thing, which is this literal deterioration of the brain from just traumatic injury over and over yeah. again. Yeah. No, this was not my first TBI. Um, okay. I've had other minor, I think I'm trying to remember, I've had three, um, excuse me, like minor concussions, but this particular concussion having had previous ones and where I got hit, like that's the whole thing about brain injuries is it, it, where you get hit really matters. Like if I get hit with a, you know, a ball in the front of my skull, nothing's going to happen because I'm protected. But once you get into any of this soft tissue, so the very top of your head and this back part, really dangerous. Um, so. Sure. Yeah. Because your brain moves forward in the, in the liquid that it's in and it, it constantly goes off the front of your head and, Exactly. Yeah. I figured it had to have been pretty uh, bad. Made, it made an impression on that doctor where she remembered. So, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, considering like the, the so after it happened, my girlfriend. Um, so I stay I because I'd had concussions before I knew the, you know, you can't go to sleep thing. So I stayed up, you know, as much as I could in the night. And um, in the morning, you know, we made a decision. She said, okay, we got to take you to the doctor. <laughs> She said she knew it was really bad, both her and the doctor, because she literally said to me, hey, Kel, I'm going to just go downstairs and move my car. And uh, so she was gone for, you know, two or three minutes tops. And she came back upstairs and I, you know, she came in the door and I said, oh, when did you get here? And she said she just went, oh, my God, like that's Kelly's memory is like, like, I have a memory that is just insane. Um, and so for her, that as for my friend, she said that was really concerning. Um, and I did, I had huge issues with memory. Um, I had terrible emotional regulation issues. And then I had a lot of vestibular issues. So I had the terrible vertigo um, where I would just be kind of lying down in bed and I would wake up and it was like the whole room was spinning. I would get sick. It was just it was an awful way to live. It was awful. 
often. <laughs> can you touch on um, some of the factors that separate that separates the CPTSD from you know the PTSD? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So regular PTSD basically is a um, a one-time event, and it can be extremely severe. Like it's not to be minimized by any means, but essentially how it works and this is how i understand it to work is when something happens that's uh startling so our nervous system you know we're we're cued for like oh shoot get out of the way like a bus is coming so if you have something happen to you that's horrifying and you're able to actually like your cortex which i call it your front door you'll hear me say front door back door (laughs) back door is my nervous system front door is my cortex so your cortex can take that information process it let your nervous system regulate like, okay, you're safe. We're good. Store it in a memory file. And then, you know, when you think about, Oh man, do you remember what that time we were downtown that bus almost hit us? Oh crap. That was crazy, man. But you can just kind of talk about it. It's not a big deal. Your PTSD is this thing was so horrific that your brain couldn't process this information and it gets trapped in your nervous system. It's not filed. It doesn't know what it's doing. And so then that's your, you start thinking about that thing. You're like, I don't think about that. I don't want to think about that. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I want to run away. That's your PTSD. Complex PTSD is typically starts in childhood and it is um, repetitive trauma back to back to back with no chance of escape. So they literally, um, refer to it as like a war zone which some people think like oh that's that's pretty like that's pretty like dramatic you know like a a kid in a war zone like do they they actually even know what that means well here's the problem with that a child's brain the cortex is not actually developed properly um i can't remember what age it happens it's like 12 or something like that so if you're exposed to these traumatic events and you don't have the brain nor do you have the life experience to understand this is really serious and this isn't Um, So you go to your caregiver and are like, hey, um, this thing happened to me. Like, should I be freaked out by this? If you don't have that like caregiver to say, you're safe, you're okay, I love you, everything's going to be fine. You start to have pretty screwed up core beliefs about who you are as a person and the way you are in the world. Because it's like, oh, well, this bad thing happened to me and this bad thing happened to me. There must be something wrong with me. I'm defective. And that is your complex post-traumatic stress because it's not just about the actual traumatic event. It's about the impact on your nervous system and your core beliefs about who you are as a human being. Wow. Now I got, so now what happens to someone who has caregivers who are also maybe not available all the time. Maybe they are sometimes. And mm-hmm. they'll tell you one thing, like I'm like ch- children of alcoholics. Yes. Because that's, I, I grew up in an alcoholic environment. Right. And de- it depended on what day it was, how good it was or how bad it was sometimes. Now I was granted, I was never physically abused, but I, there was definitely some, a lot of issues that were caused by all this. Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. was a lot of self and there was a lot of self doubt that was instilled even though it necessarily may not have been because it was just, there was, it was just so from one pole to the other all the time. What happens to somebody who experiences things like that? 
as far as com- like because if you can rely on your caregiver sometimes but you can't rely on them all the time what is that like how have you learned have you learned anything about that yeah so it's so it's interesting because i think um so when when we're dealing with trauma um specifically you there's kind of like the four like i call it the four main groups so there's your complex ptsd there's your bipolar there's your borderline and your narcissistic personality and so some children can be exposed to um specific levels of dysfunction or abuse or whatever you want to call it and for whatever reason they come out you know, kind of like, Hey, I'm pretty normal. Like I don't have some of the issues that this person has because people have asked me like, Hey, how do you, how come you both, you know, your brother and you came from the same family and you ended up this way, but he ended up another way. And so the long, short answer is kind of, it really, I think does depend on biology to an extent. I think that, um, we are wired a certain way that isn't to say like, well, you know, you're just not resilient enough. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. Um, but you're going to inherit specific genetics from your parents. And I, I do believe that some of us are just, you know, some of us are wired to be a little bit more anxious. Some of us are wired to be a little more quiet. Some of us are wired to be introverted. I don't think that that's from traumatic experience necessarily. I think it can shape you. Um, but with the four that I just listed, there's very specific criteria as I learned as to how you end up with one of those four, because I was kind of like, how the heck did I end up over here with this one that's curable? And I didn't end up with borderline and I didn't end up with this. Well, if you as a child are able to, in your dysfunctional relationship with your parents, so for you, you just mentioned alcoholism, right? So alcoholism, we're talking addiction. It means this person has their own trauma that they are, you know, they don't have that resolved. They have crappy core beliefs. And so they're projecting that onto you as a child. If you as the child are able to connect with your parent, even if it is with trauma bonding, so you fawn all over your parents, you smooth your environment to like make things happy for them. And then it's like, oh, you're such a good little girl because you went and got dad's beer and now I'm very happy for you, which is like very screwed up and dysfunctional. But you've now given, you've attached with your parents through a traumatic bonding experience. So you're now- Right, that's codependency right there. Codependency, (laughs) there you go. So if you can do that, you will end up with this more likely complex PTSD or you you can get into the borderline. So that's where I ended up on the spectrum because I was able to connect with one of my parents. If you cannot connect with that parent, if you are rejected by that parent, if that parent doesn't love you, no matter what you do, you end up on your narcissistic end of the spectrum because you were unable to secure an attachment with that parent, even if it's through trauma bonding. So you guys, if you've done any work around narcissistic stuff, you've maybe heard of like narcissistic injury. So narcissistic injury is literally the moment when the child tries to connect with the caregiver and they can't, they cannot do it. And that bond, it's like, it's ripped, it's broken. um, And they cannot experience like emotions and feelings because it's too painful for them. So that's where your narcissistic people where it's like, I have no empathy, I don't care. Um, And you know, the empaths, like I'm the empath over here going, how can you not care about people? Like, I'm obsessed with people. I'm like, constantly worried about what people think of me. And it's like, for them, their way of coping with their pain 
is literally to it's like a division of their body like here's me over here as a kid when i cared here's me with no emotions and no empathy to protect myself so that's that's interesting i i actually i'm glad that you brought that up because i you know, it's, I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but you know, most people hear narcissist or narcissistic behavior and you, right. it, it's, um, it, it's not something that you, you should, I guess, be compassionate about in a way, you know? And I feel like after that explanation that you gave, there's, there is some, uh, you know, compassion maybe to be had at, at, yeah, at a it depends point. at I, a certain I, point. Yeah. I, I, well, at, at the surface level, at the surface level, to have compassion for anybody is important. But there's also a rationale that goes to say, you know what, you're a fucking adult, and you you may have this issue that you haven't resolved. But guess what? At a certain age, it's up to you, just like Kelly, or just like any of us. It's up to you to do the fucking work. And no, no, choose, I, I agree. And if you choose not to do the work, well, guess what? That's on you. So that narcissistic thing, I, I totally understand it. And there's there's some compassion there to be had. But I think that narcissism has a, a whole other level to it that that is very um, that is very. <clears throat> I, I don't even know what word to call it, but there's some certain there's some certain aggressive part to that narcissism that says it doesn't matter what anybody does for me, I'm going to do what I want because I'm the one who knows it all. Yeah, and 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 yeah. and, and it's like I, I think at a certain point you can you can have empathy, and I I think we should feel some empathy towards everyone because that's just how. I just meant in humans. I just meant in general. Like sometimes we feel more empathy for someone who has, uh, you know, a depression or anxiety. You know, and it, it just that for me, I, maybe it's just me. It seems like it's it's way lower on the on the scale. Like you know, for me, I'm just, well. I definitely, I definitely, I definitely see where you're coming from, though, and I definitely think that we have less empathy for people that we view in that in that narcissistic part of the, the quartet, as I'll call it, because that's quite the quartet. I, I, it's amazing that that four things are like makes up quite the band. Like that's the Beatles of fucking mental illness right there. Yeah, oh, I know. I know. Yeah, I know. And I mean, so, okay. On the narcissistic front, and it's interesting because, and I should, I should say this for the record. So obviously I think it kind of goes without saying I was uh, subjected to a, a tremendous amount of narcissistic abuse as a child. So um, you know, I was gaslit. I was, uh, my reality was questioned constantly. I was, you know, punished for showing emotions because I was always a very, um, bright and, and independent. And, you know, like I've got a lot of strength to me. I've got a lot of gut to me. And you seem like you were a free thinker. <laughs> yeah, I was. And so I would get, you know, I was that kid that would ask the teacher why, like, well, why do we have to do this? way? it was not because I was being a pain in the ass. It was literally like, I just really actually just want you to explain to me why we're doing it this way. Well, and curiosity, curiosity gets beat out of us as a child, no matter who it does, who does it. Exactly. So I was punished for a lot of my explorations, feelings, emotions. And um, as a result, I ended up, you know, with this train of um, cause that's the problem is it is if you as a kid are exposed to narcissistic abuse and, you know, alcoholism, I was exposed to that as well. That comes into play. 
you will typically pick unhealthy relationships going forward in your life because you it's familiar to you it's familiar yep it's comforting sure and and you don't you honestly don't have the the core belief self-worth that you are worthy of being loved because you were told it basically <laughs> crap so on the narcissistic thing i'm totally with you well like like you have to be an adult um there's a guy that i follow he's a therapist his name is ross rosenberg brilliant he wrote a book called the human magnet syndrome he all of his work is around narcissistic uh, personality disorder and he really wants um codependency to be changed to uh call be called self-love deficit because he said i, he I love it i gotta find that book because that's like i it's amazing what self-love or lack of yep. self-love really does to you as a as a human being especially the older you get and especially exactly. as you Especially as you know, as you grow as an adult, and, and whether we grow really or if we're just stuck in our seven or five yeah. year old or nine year old, whatever body yeah. we're trapped in. Yeah, but he he um, his work really allowed me to um, educate myself further on this personality disorder, um, and not so much that I could you know like I didn't want it to come from a place of blaming because I thought you know what's happened to me has happened to me and it's my responsibility to fix it. But I feel like for me to actually heal, I needed to understand what I was dealing with, with respect to that disorder so that I could have the empathy to understand that yes, this person did this to me and it was their fault. However, they were a traumatized person who doesn't have the skills or tools to understand what impact they're having on me as a child. So I learned from Ross that narcissistic personality disorder is the hardest one to treat on the spectrum because that part of their core beliefs, if you will, is I didn't do it. It's not my fault. And, and that's, that's kind of what I was trying to say earlier. It's yeah. like, you know, I feel, believe me, like you were saying you agree with, well, I agree. I'm not saying I don't, but I agree that across the line. Like, I'm not going to look yeah. at, at narcissistic behavior and I'm not going to look at depression and go, oh, I feel bad for this guy. He's depressed. He right. needs to look, give him more leniency. No, 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 no. You're an adult even if you're depressed. Yeah. You're an adult even if you have all mental illness. It's your yeah. responsibility, you know, and that's why I love this conversation because of the trauma that you have had. So many people that I have been, you know, encountered, uh, that I have encountered will take the, the, the victim role and be like, Oh, this happened to me and this happened to me. And, and that's why I'm stuck. And it's like, well, that's maybe why you're stuck. But the reason why you're sitting stuck is because of you, you know, that got you to that point, but now it's your job to get out of it. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's a good, that's actually a good segue of like the others, like, you know, what, like, cause I know you guys want to do like, well, what the hell did you do? Right. So, so Yes, the EMDR was one component of it, but it was so many other things. And it really, um, I really need people to understand that this was 360 degrees of work. It was not just going in and, and, and you know, doing the EMDR and processing these horrible memories. Like I had, I've had to work at this every single day for, you know, almost two years. And the biggest thing that I take away at like every day, every day is gratitude. I cannot express to anybody enough 
about the power of gratitude and what it has meant for me to transform my life in ways that I never imagined possible. Um, I, I, I got to ask you a question about that <laughs> while you're talking about gratitude, because uh, in I I have the brand new ep, uh, issue of Psychology Today sitting over on my shelf, and they're actually talking about how um, how faking gratitude can actually be do a negative part of it where I, I understand I'm totally, I totally understand. I'm hundred mm-hmm. percent agree with gratitude. Absolutely. Yep. Being grateful for the bad things, the good things you have to be grateful for everything you get because they've all taught you something. They've all given you something, but ha- did you experience that part where you had to fake yourself through gratitude at the no. beginning of this? No. So it's really, really, really good and important that you brought that up because I think sometimes when people hear you talk about gratitude, right? It's like, oh God, here we go. Pollyanna, you know, <laughs> going to tell us a freaking story about how she changed the world and the sky is blue and, you know, come on, whatever. And, and here's what I have to say about that is that gratitude is something um, for me where I really go through my day realizing there's always going to be somebody that's going to have more than me. And there's always going to be have somebody that's going to have less. And you need to focus on what you have, but you also need to allow yourself to grieve and, 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 you know, go through loss and anger. Like it is okay for people to get angry. It is okay for people to grieve something that they've lost or, 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 you know, something that they've been through. And I'm a huge advocate for, okay, whoa, 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 wait, this really bad thing happened to you. Let's acknowledge it. Let's validate it. I'm going to validate your experience. This happened to you. How did it make you feel like you, this is real for you. You feel these feelings. This is real. Like you're not a baby. You're not, not strong. Like let's deal with this. And I think, I think suppressing those feelings and emotions are part of, it's part of the problem. Of, exactly. You know? So it's like, let's acknowledge that this happened. How do we feel about this? Where do we feel it? And you guys knowing DBT know about the importance of like identifying the emotion and where do you feel it in your body and, and, and um, being able to do that so that you can regulate. But then absolutely. It's like- and it's never always the first emotion. It's usually a second, like the first emotion is just the opening. And then we've, we've yeah. learned, Tim and I have learned this on our own. And we've also learned from the conversations that we've had, that it's never the first emotion. You may feel anger, but what's really the emotion that's really going on? Is it loss? Yeah. Is it, is it abandonment? Is it like there's there's other things that bring up those those emotions that we don't always look at because we always look at the surface things. We're always ready to look at the the first thing that we find. Oh, I'm pissed off because you know I, I stubbed my toe. But are you really <laughs> pissed off because you stubbed your toe? Or are you are you really hurt because you know somebody forgot to pick you up? And it's just like, like it's crazy how that that works. Yep, exactly. And that, and that's, yeah, and, and that's the thing. So it's like, you have to validate what's going on and you have to allow yourself to sit with it and, and process it. But then, you know, it's like, okay, like, do you want to fix this or not? And so that's the difference between just being a Pollyanna about it, right? Like, oh, just smile through the sunshine and there's never any worries. I'm, I'm here to tell you, like, life is freaking tough, man. Like, I've been through hell on earth and, and, and come to see the other side of it. But um, the gratitude for me really, and like I said, like I've, I've got a little story on my webpage, but it, I will never forget the day that I, um, started all of this because it was, it was June. I was, I hated, like I was dissociative that like, think about it. Like the police 
were coming to my house. Like I didn't know who I was. I was living with my mother. You know, here I am 38 years old and I'm living with my mother because I can't be left by myself. You know, I was off of, I was taken off of work and oh my God, poor me. And I was, I remember I was out, I was, what, it was a cloudy day. I was so angry. I was at the bridge at, um, there's this bridge that connects downtown and Songhees in Victoria and the stupid bridge went up and I was, oh my God, like I was fuming. I was like, oh my God, this is going to ruin my entire day <laughs> everything, and I just want to jump off this bridge. And like, I'm, I'm not even kidding. Like I hated the world. I hated me. I didn't want to be there. I just wanted it to end. And I looked into the sky and sorry, this is very emotional for me because it was a really big moment. I looked into the sky and I said, God damn it, Kelly, find something to be grateful for. Find something to make your life worth living because this is not what you want to be doing. And I kid you not, in that moment, it was like the sun sort of just popped through the clouds and I kind of noticed it and sat with it. I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. How does that make me feel? And the first thing that popped into my head was my aunt. Um, my aunt has multiple sclerosis and Parkinson's. She's bedridden. Oh. Uh, She's actually in the hospital right now. Um, her life is pretty, pretty small. And I thought about what her life is and that she doesn't have the opportunity to stand at that bridge and be pissed off. She doesn't have the opportunity to be annoyed that she can't walk across the bridge because she doesn't have legs that work. And I kid you not, in that moment, I thought about her, I sat with it in my body. And the next thing I did, I turned around, the bridge was going down, and I see this dude, and I'm like, oh, this guy, get, get out of my way. You know, get out of here. You're pissing me off. And I look, he's in a wheelchair, and he doesn't have legs. And I thought, and there it is. Like, there it is, Kelly. You have a life to live. You have a working body. You have your health. You have so much more life to live. Do not let this ruin you. Like, let's fix this. And that was kind of the big start to me wanting to get to the other side. And so I do really advocate for gratitude. This acknowledgement that bad things happen and we need to sit with those things and acknowledge those things. We don't want to Pollyanna our way through it. It drives me crazy when people are like, oh, yeah, you had a bad day. Well, guess what? My day was so much worse. And it's like, okay, cool. We're comparing shitty experiences. It's, it's ridiculous. I see it so much in this in this mental health community that it, it literally makes me vomit. It mm -hmm. literally just I'm like, I don't get it. Like, why are we competing for the negative Olympics here? Like you get a trophy for having like the worst day. Yep. Like, is that if really if that's what you want, go right ahead. Cause I don't want to I don't want to be in those Olympics. I don't no. want to be in it. No. I want to hear stories like Kelly's that, you know, she, she found out all this stuff and gathered her, gathered her evidence and like said, I've had enough. And like, I'm going to do something about it. Like, that's what I want to hear. You know, yeah. and then I want, and then I want to hear how you did it and what brought you to that point. Like, you know what I mean? Like why you can, you can think of 10 million things to be negative about, you know what I mean? And that, and, and that's all you're going to do is, is continue down that path. You yeah. Know, but if you can start saying, "Hey, let me start thinking positive and being thankful for things," then you're going to start looking for the positive, and yeah. then that it will will hopefully, you know, in turn be your future. It's well, just and the positive. That's the this is I I I really have to 
swear by this, like, because you start advocating for the positive things, you start, it actually shifts your way of thinking. It shifts. Oh, for sure. You start, it's like a muscle, right? Like, it's like, oh, I want a bicep. Well, you got to start practice. You know, you got to start lifting the weight to build the muscle. This is its own muscle. And the people who are going through that negative, you know, woe is me. And like my, my trauma is worse than yours. That really boils down to they have terrible self-worth issues. They have horrible core beliefs about who they are as a person. And when you are waking up in the morning and this is your Brandy Brown um, and you can't lean into that discomfort because your belief is I am a worthless piece of crap. I am not worthy of love and belonging. I'm not, um, I'm defective. There's something wrong with me. When you carry that weight around with you, it's going to show up. Like maybe it's going to show up in busyness. You know, maybe it's going to show up in anger. Maybe it's going to show up in, I need to compete in the negative Olympics because I just need somebody to validate that. that Right. And I is real. I agree with you a hundred. I agree with you 110%. And it's great because it's like, you're, you're kind of validating some of the things that I, that I've always thought. So it's, it's really nice to, to hear, I guess. That somebody yeah, else I, I think I have way. some examples of how it shows up too. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I do? I want to throw in, actually, I want to throw in two things. Um, both from earlier in the conversation we were talking about, um, I think you were, when it was around like the four apps and like, why did this happen to you and maybe not your brother or, or, Mm -hmm. you know, and I I think it's the same thing with just mental illness in general is I I think, you know, we're all wired a certain way and, you know, maybe this person is more susceptible than this person. And if that person that's more susceptible goes down a different path, then they're going to start checking all those boxes. And then once those boxes are checked, I think that's when, you know, that's when that question of why, you know what I mean? That that's when that answer should pop up. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. And like, like I say, cause I mean, sometimes people will say like, Oh, you know, and I think that there's some shame there too, right. For people of, for sure. How, you know, how come I ended up like, I remember when I got diagnosed and told people what I had and, you know, Oh my God, like it was so, it wasn't funny, but so many people were like, Oh my God. Like, is that just like really, really bad PTSD? Like you must be so devastated. Like that means you have a mental illness and oh no, like it was just like, I was, I was actually shocked at some of the um, responses that I got from people that I kind of felt like I could, you know, put my trust in. And, you know, at the time, because I had terrible core beliefs, I, it, it shone that light of, oh no, you, you see Kelly, like, they, they now know what you have. It really does mean that you are defective and you are, <laughs> you know, it was, it was just so counterproductive. And then I started realizing, no, 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 no. This shows how little education there is. That's exactly. All of these topics, like people have no clue what we're dealing with here. They just hear these words and they go, Oh God, narcissist. Oh Jesus. Like, Right. And that's, that's what, that's, that's one of the reasons that started this whole thing connection with you is, you know, I didn't know what CPTSD was and you explained it. And I'm like, people need to hear this. Like we need to, we need to get this out here because you don't hear of it as often as you would hear of anxiety, you know? So it, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but I just, either way it should be, you know, 
someone should be talking more about this. We should get it out to people and let them know. Yeah. And complex PTSD is new too on the DSM. So it, it, it's a newer diagnosis. Um, and it is actually one that was very frequently misdiagnosed for borderline personality disorder. Right. Um, because right. there, there are so many shades where they, they blend together very beautifully. Um, but I, from what I understand, the biggest, um, difference between complex PTSD and the borderline is specifically around the abandonment issue. Um, so borderline personality folk, they, they have the utmost level of threat with respect to abandonment because they were uh, abandoned by their caregivers in a very traumatic way. Um, and so they, their, the way their brains work, just as like a basic example, a person with borderline, you know, if you set up a lunch date, for example, or, you know, we set up this podcast and let's say one of you bails. Okay. You know, you send me a message and you say, oh gosh, Kelly, you know, we can't do it. Like Tim's sick today or whatever. The complex PTSD person might go, oh no, like, I hope, I hope that doesn't mean that he doesn't like me anymore. You know, like you'd have some like self-love questions. The borderline partner, <laughs> they take that as the utmost total threat that you've abandoned them and it's the biggest trigger and um, they can go to the moon. And so you, you borderline people would be, you know, they'd say, oh my God, like you, 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 know, you, you abandoned me on this call and you canceled it and it was so disrespectful. And like, I don't know if I can ever trust you again. And the person on the receiving end would be like, dude, like. I, I, I was sick. Like I, I just didn't think I would, could do the, the the podcast. But for them, it is a real life threat that this decision for you to not show up means that you're going to abandon them because there's something wrong with them. It's 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 heavy duty. So I'm, I'm is, like, think about living that way. It would be very difficult. <laughs> yeah, every every single thing would be a trigger. It's like that. Yeah. The right. whole world is full of landmines if you live like that. Yep. Although I, I will say this though, the, with that description, I've never quite heard it put that way. So I could add it, honestly see where there's so much gray that these these diagnoses will call them. Because that's what they are. I mean, you know, the DSM is full of full of information and it's full of diagnosis because they've also got to give names to everything. And I and, and but it's like I can see where you could have a a misdiagnosis. Because Absolutely. so many things are so, there's so many things that relate to de depression that are in this box. And then you got this box and you got this square over here. And it's just yeah. like, yeah, that's why. Sorry, go ahead. I, no, I was just going to say, that's why I, I uh, Will and I have talked about this numerous times. And I always, I, I just view it this way now is I, I just view mental illness as a spectrum. Yes. You know, and, and depending on where you are, if you're closer to the illness side or you're closer to the wellness side. And yeah, and I, I just believe that because I, you know, I mean, anybody could, like Will was saying, you could go on to the DS or whatever, read about, uh, you know, BPD and, and be like, oh, yeah, this is me totally. And I could go on there and read it and I'm like, totally me. Absolutely. But then I could go on and read something else and be like, yeah, that's me too. So it's, yeah. you know what well, I mean? It's like, 
and not to cut you off, but, but because I wanted to kind of second what you just said while she was describing BPD and stuff, I'm hearing some of these things and I'm like, shit, I've had those I'm, thoughts. <laughs> I'm like, well, shit, if somebody, if somebody says I can't show up, well, fuck man, I must be done something wrong. It must be my fault. It must be. Oh yeah. Cause it's always comes down to that. It's always my fault kind of thing where you yeah. always feel like the weight of the world is like you caused the whole thing to blow up. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's interesting. You were talking about boxes because my mom, you know, my mom, <laughs> my mom's going to listen to this. Yes. Mother, I brought you into this. She doesn't like, the <laughs> she, she, she's really against labels. So she doesn't like the boxes. And so uh, I like your mom already. Yeah. I was really focused and I'll, I'll be honest about this. Like I was very focused on boxes. Um, and at the time, you know, I'd say to her like, mom, this is just what I need to do right now. And at that time I, I wasn't sure why. And now I understand that when I first found out about my actual quote unquote box, um, it was a valid, it was a moment of validation that I'd never received as a human being that in fact, yes, here is a list of things that I fall under that, that explains and validates what's quote unquote wrong with me. Right. So but what actually was the bigger issue? And that's where, you know, yeah, we can get into the, oh, I have complex or I have nar narcissistic personality or whatever. Or I have anxiety. All of these mental health issues have something super important in common. And that's the part that I realized was the connection between why I needed that validation. We do not have good core beliefs. We all have a message. <laughs> <laughs> Will and I are like, love. yeah. <laughs> I am not lovable. I am not worthy. I am defective. I'm to this. I'm to that. I'm all these things. And so once I actually started to understand that I needed that diagnosis for the time being to validate that I, it was okay that I was a little neurotic. It was okay that I was a dissociative disaster. It was okay that I was all these things because my nervous system was sick and trying to tell me can, can, can you please fix me? Like, can you please like take me to the EMDR doctor and the gratitude doctor? And can, can we like get the cure? Because I'm kind of tired of living this way. And now that I know um, that that was the bigger issue, I'm more focused on like, let's get this message out here that like this self-love thing yeah. is a big problem. It's the core of your addiction issues, your anxiety issues, your rage issues. I, mean, I remember I remember when Will and I first started this and we were going through all these different things and every time we would delve deep into a conversation, we would look at each other and like it all comes back to that. Yeah, yeah it all it, comes it, down to self-love. It does. It really, really does. It's it's you know, we Will and I had a there a uh what was it a few weeks back, didn't we have a, a like the validation? Was that the a yeah, validation? That was the validation we were talking yeah. Validation one and and it's for me, at least, this is just my opinion. It's like I feel like if you have that inner worth, that inner self worth, that inner love, that inner validation, that you don't need validation from other people. Like, sure, it's it's good to have, but you don't need it. Yep. But that that's just my opinion. Yeah, you. It, well, it's interesting because as I started to go through my EM, you know, as I started to pick through my EMDR files in my, you know, like, cause I had like, oh God, when we did my timeline, I've had like 27 life altering traumas or something ridiculous that we had to kind of weed through. And so, you know, we're, we're sitting here doing 
the work and I would leave the session sometimes. Sometimes I'd leave and I was a mess and sometimes I'd leave and I'd have this like newfound epiphany of the world. But I started to really notice what would happen to me with this newfound core belief that was shifting of like, I'm a worthy human being and I'm lovable because the way that I was able to start dealing with other relationships um, changed so much. Like before I would just be so triggered by other people's behavior, right? Where I'd be like, oh my God, like they're doing this thing and oh no, and I need to like smooth it or whatever it is, right? Because of how I've like been like trained, so to speak, through my abuse situations. And now I'm literally able to do this thing where somebody will do something, I can feel the trigger, like they can still happen a little bit, right? And I can stop and go, ooh, ooh, what's happening here? And I can sit with it and I can figure out where I feel it in my body and I sit with the the feelings and emotions and I sit with what I'm noticing. And then I'm able to have this total different reaction because of my own place of self-love. And I'm able to respond to this person who's projecting at me because of their own self-hatred in this way that doesn't cause that fight back, right? Like if we're triggered and we respond with the punch, they're just going to keep punching back. And I'm able to look at a person and say in my head, this is not a you problem, Kelly. This is a them problem. And it's not to blame them. It's more just to understand they don't understand how to respond to this because of their own self-love lacking issues. So you respond to them with love. Let me tell you, it confuses the shit out of me. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. Like when I started responding to my father in this whole totally different way, because my father's like, we have a lot of like trigger issues, right? Love my dad, but there's issues there. And he, it was like, he didn't know what to do. He was like, what? uh, 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 it's, it's 412. Um, uh, I, I think I'm going to get up from the table. Like he didn't, even know what to do. He, he needs that fight. He needs that person to fight back also, with him. Also when people change, like when you were when you transition, whatever, however you want to oh, yeah. use that word, but people don't like that. If I know you and you transition and you start taking that path to the higher self, and you start doing things differently. You don't get mad at this anymore. It, it, nine out of ten times, it affects people that know you that well. And they're like, wait yeah. a minute. You're, you're supposed to get mad at this. Like, why aren't yeah. you getting mad? So it's like, you know, ten months ago, you're telling me you don't want me to get mad at this. Now that I'm not mad at, at it, you're like questioning it. It's like. I and To speak to that point, like if you're in a codependent relationship with somebody and that and that one person decides that they're going to fix something. When the other person sees that they're trying to fix something, it throws the whole fucking world (laughs) off its axis because you're like, oh, shit, well, you're not reacting or responding the same way you used to. And now I don't know what to do. I don't like did I like what what the fuck happened? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting dealing with people too now, like because I have a lot of different, you know, like I have friends and family in my world. And um, it's it's been amazing for me not just to change my life but the way that i'm able to respond to some of the people that i love the most with my skills to help them feel more loved you know where they like i can see what's happening in there i think it's like it's it's so interesting and you guys will probably think about this after we go away from this conversation but you can almost see it with people when they have been triggered and their back door opens and remember i told you i talked about the front door back door it's almost like a jekyll hyde thing where it's like 
the eyes change and it's like a like a ooh like like an animal in the wild like i'm ready to fight um and for whatever reason in that second that person is threatened by you and what i came to realize is that when it's when you're dealing with people that you love and they love you their their moment is absolute threat of the, of this relationship it's like this person doesn't love me. This person doesn't want me. This person's going to abandon me. It's like all those things that we tell ourselves without even realizing what's going on. And it doesn't come from this part of our brain where we're going, well, this is completely irrational. Why are you having this conversation? It's coming from this back door, these files that are trapped in your brain that you don't have stored properly. And so you're just sort of floating around reacting to things, not really knowing why you're doing it, but it's coming from a place of, yeah, remember the last time this thing happened to you? Oh, right. You were told you were a piece of crap. Or, oh, right, you were slapped across the face. Or, oh, right, you were told that you are not lovable. And that's threatening for people. It's very Yeah, we, we like to talk about the, well, um, Daniel Amen's change your brain, change your life kind of thing. Kind yeah, of yeah. Brought this whole thing up for me called the limbic jukebox because Tim and I are both music people and i you know music is the lang the first language of, of myself and i like to call it the the olympic jukebox because those negative records are very easy to drop down and they just spin and they just go without they just go without even it's subconscious like the yeah negative, it's, it's subconscious. subconscious the negative subconscious just takes over and it's just like it plays all those hits you're not worthy you're this <laughs> you're that it's just it's crazy how, all how the they, hit. yeah how, all yeah, the how hits. they all the, the all the greatest hits yeah the narrative all the greatest hits the greatest hits. <laughs> kelly thank you so much for being a part of this man this has been amazing and it's yeah, awesome, it's awesome. To, to hear your story and and have you bring about the what complex post-traumatic stress disorder is and stuff so usually at the end of every podcast we ask three questions yes and i'm gonna let tim ask the first question Sure. I want to, before I ask it though, I, I just, I, I don't mean to go off on a tangent, but I, I do want to, um, you were talking about, well, you mentioned it a couple of times about, um, the, the memories and storing them where, you know, unknown places, you know, in the nervous system or wherever they mm -hmm. end up. But, um, I remember doing some, uh, research on PTSD and I, I wrote up this thing. It's just a small little thing. And, uh, I just want to read it real quick. It's, um, so the hippocampus is what files memory in a normal day, you know, that's where your memories are filed in the hippocampus, but under stress danger, it stops filing those memories and switches to pumping cortisol. And then that cortisol stops us from feeling the pain and switches us to focus on survival. And then when all that process goes on, the memories that would normally go back up to the you know hippocampus during a traumatic event, they're actually hidden. So, yes. you know, that's where the evidence is hard to gather, so to speak. Yep. Yep. So. And that, that's precisely what EMDR does is it, it accesses those files that are trapped. Right. You reprocess them. Um, they get stored appropriately. And then whatever core belief that is attached to those horrible traumas, you deal with those and you actually start to recode the, the thoughts that you have about yourself and the experiences that you've had it's 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 a truly amazing experience actually <laughs> wow it's, like defra cool. it's defragmenting software on your computer man it literally is for real yeah that's awesome that's awesome very cool all right so the first question is 
Do you have a favorite or least favorite word? Oh God. I'm sure there's probably a, le- you know what my least favorite word is? And this is so funny because it's on the topic of um, core beliefs and, and, and who we think we are. The word boisterous was one that came up <laughs> I was a kid by my grandmother and it made me infuriated. And for most of my adult life, it has been a trigger word for me. If somebody uses that word, I'm like, I go into the ceiling. And I now understand it because, you know, that was like, well, you're just ridiculous. You're a ridiculous child. You're so boisterous. So whenever I hear that word, I'm like, oh, man, don't want to use that word. <laughs> awesome. Do you have a favorite word or no? Nothing um, comes to mind? I think for me right now, it's my my favorite word is probably just like universe because it's my whole thing is like that the universe shows you what you need and what you need to do. And if we listen, you'll get the, you know, you'll get presented opportunities. Like I'm talking to you guys for heaven's sakes. You know, I wanted to figure out a way to get my story out there and help other people. And here we are. So yeah. Universe. <laughs> ah, yeah. The universe does. The universe is an amazing thing, especially if you start to pay attention or you learn what to pay attention to and, mm-hmm. and you, and you trust it and you trust what you're, what the feedback you're getting out of it. Trust and believe as Sean T would say. So yeah. <laughs> so i have to ask cat dog or other so i am primarily more of a cat person i do have a cat i've grown up with cats um my father was terrified of dogs so i had less exposure to them and i think have some of my own fear of dogs at times so i'm a cat whisperer for sure (laughs) Uh, yeah we have uh my i have a cat and he loves he loves timmy Fernando. Fernando. Yeah. Fernando makes appearances on the podcast every once in a while. Even oh. this week, he's on this week when the episode drops <laughs> this week, he's actually on the episode. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. My cat, my cat's name is Belle and she's a tuxedo cat and she's the friendliest cat ever. People who hate cats are like, wow, I actually really like your cat. So there's that. <laughs> I just love the fact that they're, that they're not like dogs, that they're very independent, but yet they're, they're willing to, they're, they're actually better than humans because they'll tell you exactly what they need as right. long as you pay attention to them. Totally. Couldn't agree more. So the last question is, if there was something that you could do or that you would like to see done for mental health as a whole, what would it be? Um, I would say that in a nutshell, the biggest thing is that there is the stigma needs to end. Um, we, people like myself, um, and, and others need to start talking, try to get brave to talk about what's going on. Because I think when people can connect and realize that, you know, you're not alone in the world, like that's the most important thing. Like you are not alone. That was something that I took away from this experience is I was never alone. Um, I think we can start actually highlighting that there needs to be more education there needs to be more funding. There needs to be more attention because the way that they are dealing with the, this issue, they are not dealing with the foundation of the problem. And the foundation <laughs> of these issues is trauma, baby. And if you do not deal with the foundation, it's like building a house in quicksand. Do you really think it's going to work out? You can build it and build it and build it and build it and keep band-aiding it. But unless you knock that shit down and you make the right foundation, you can't get anywhere. So that's what I would like to see. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. 
Yeah, it all starts. We we've actually talked about this a lot. Actually, yeah. we've talked about the foundation, and if you build something on a bad foundation, it's not going to stand no matter what. <laughs> I, and you can I put like- you can put one floor, two floors. You can put ten floors. You can build a. a glass ceiling that's just going to come crashing down on everything well i feel like you've said like a house on quicksand before too it's like that was like right up our alley yeah that was like perfect um this actually may turn into a two-parter we've been we've been talking we've been talking for quite a while which is okay and i gotta ask would you be willing to come back at some point absolutely 100 percent. yeah awesome great you know what i want to do will I want to send her just, uh, I think we were talking before the, um, before we were actually recording for the episode and she was talking about going through stuff and like how, how it, like the trash bit, you know, like your trash on the floor, the universe. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And, and they remind me of that thing that we came up with about going through things and excavating the wreckage. Uh, yeah. Excavating the wreckage. Yeah. yeah. We talk about excavating the wrecks a lot. Um, there was a book that I, uh, that I came across last in, in 2020, I came across, I came out, I think in 2019 called reboot. And uh, Jerry Kalana is uh, like one of the guys that was involved in like tech Valley in the, in, in California, he was like a, a big investor and stuff, but, but he learned and he, and he's a Buddhist and stuff. And he learned that you, you have to go back and excavate the wrecks of your life. So Tim and I have kind of come up with this whole archaeology dig thing where you kind of got to you gotta dig through all the shit, man, to find all the gold because we don't find gold without pan and dun- tons of dirt out of it. So 100% agree. Couldn't agree more. Yep. You got you to gotta gotta go find those pieces of garbage, man, and put them where they belong. <laughs> awesome. Kelly, thank you so much for being here. It was amazing thank you, thank to speak you. to you. You're a beautiful soul, and, and I we're gonna help spread the word, and we can we can team up and do some stuff too, man. You know, you got a friend on the East Coast here in the in the states. Yeah, thank you for sharing your story and telling us, you know, and and, and telling everybody about um, CPTSD and, and just sharing all your um, circumstances. I, I think um, I know it's hard for a lot of people, and um, you know, not a lot of people like to have these conversations, but by having them. I feel like that's a step um, forward in the, you know, decreasing the stigma. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah, it does. And being vulnerable creates connection. And I think in the world right now, when we are dealing with COVID and there's so much uncertainty and so much change and people are really scared, I think it's so important to let people in the world know, like, you are not alone. And by sharing your story, you don't know who you're going to help and what can come from it. So um, let's keep connecting the dots and, and get stories out there and help our people, man. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. So until next week, be well, be safe, be above. above.